Is this mic turned on? Wax poetic. Hi, kids. I'm a dinosaur hunter BMX rider. Long division sure comes in handy. All the little girls dream of one day biting into a corn dog and smiling at the camera. If I ran the web, you could email dead people. Wax poetic. Just say no to family values. In the terrarium is herpes. Herpes is a hermit crab. And I don't give a moment's focus to who does or doesn't like the sound of my voice. This is Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what if I write a poem like a song? Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Wax Poetic here on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM, right in the middle of our membership drive. And I'm one of your hosts, R.C. Weslowski. And I'm your other host, Pam Bentley. And we are very lucky to have, all the way from New Zealand, part of the Vancouver Writers Festival, which uh, started out, I think they had a big opening night party last week, or last night. And uh, our guest is Anne Kennedy. Hi, Anne. Hi. So nice to have you here. Oh, it's very nice to be here. Thank you. Thanks for making the trip just for us. <laughs> very sweet. I have come a long way, but I did come via Honolulu. Oh, nice. The journey, yeah. Okay. So we have our guest start out with a poem, so let's uh, have you do that. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to start with a poem called uh, Hello Kitty Goodbye Piccadilly which is from my book, The Darling North. So I'll I'll say a bit about this poem before I read it. Um, It sort of concerns the shift in worldview for New Zealanders that's happened during my lifetime that we used to be sort of focused on Europe. And now, um, as we should be, we're sort of centred on the Asia-Pacific region, Mm. which is where we we live. Mm. Um, So just something you need to know before I read this, that Maori people believe that um, when they die, or traditionally they believe, their souls go to Hawaii, mm. or Hawaiiki, Hawaiiki they say. Um, and my my husband and children are Māori, and we lived in um, Honolulu for 10 years. And when we were first there, we used to sort of joke that we'd gone to heaven early. Mm. So that's, that's you'll see that in this poem. <laughs> so it's just a bit of a poem. I write narrative poems, and so this is, I sort of chop off bits by the yard. Okay, here we go. Imagine you'd come to Hawaii early. I don't have Hawaii. Imagine you were in heaven. I don't have heaven. Imagine you were in paradise, and on arrival, you remember that you should have been what you were told about paradise at the little old cold school. In paradise, you will sit for a long time, looking at everything as if for the first time, and you will understand. Eventually, in paradise, you discover a shopping mall. Mm. This development is a long time coming because before you came to paradise, you bought meat, Brussels sprouts, rough socks. In the shopping mall, goldfish swim in blue ponds and perfume coils out of stores to engulf you in the song composed by the queen when she was incarcerated in the palace, Aloha Oi, deposits its snippets in the warm air. You shop at certain shops and you learn them, and you like them for their sound and smell, and their meaning gathers 
like clouds which, when heavy, fall onto the car park and gather again. And again you process along the upper mall and warm air bathes your feet and you incline your head towards price tags and you fall in love with a cat face and stroke a purse in its likeness to have and to hold. You try to remember the theme music to the news you watched before paradise, the trumpets important like yeomen, but it falls through your fingers, which doesn't matter because it was always going to become unimportant anyway. In paradise, you try to remember a tune your father used to sing while shaving, I dream of Deanie with the light brown hair, but it is lost. You find that in order to remember it's a long way to Tipperary, you need seagulls to be cawing overhead, bells to be ringing out the Angelus, your breath white on the air as you run down the passage to your parents' room, school uniform bundled in your arms. You need to be doing up the rubber buttons on your woolen vest while the gas fire snorts. In paradise, you walk down McCarthy Mall between the acacia trees and the acacia sprinklers and you swing your briefcase because you have a job in a place and you think Western capitalism meets Eastern cat and discard it immediately because thoughts are like that and this is paradise. Warmth rises through your body and you realise that you are cool and the balconies of apartment blocks downtown look like box seats for the Pacific Ocean and for the Sun King and you want to wave from one, your fan, your beauty spot and that the creaky wooden villa with light coming through the floorboards that you lived in on earth has fallen away and you smile at the thought of the bright new friends you've made. The school you went to topples into the cold gully below it and magpies rise, oodle-addling, until they are full stops, and the extinct varieties of Hawaii fill your bookshelves. A cat you knew once, who slept in your bed on cold nights with its face poking out, becomes mythical. But you were always going to outlive it anyway. And a cousin on your mother's side falls away, but she was always elusive. There is no brother, but a digital camera, no aunt, but a pair of shoes. There are no grandparents, but a hair straightener. Mm. But they were always going. There is no coat, but you were always going to lose it. There is no cold wind, but it was always going to be forgotten because of the nature of cold and of wind. When you travel on the bus, you are a little chilly in the air conditioning. You listen to the voice announcing each stop in well-articulated Hawaiian. You know whose voice it is, and you feel like turning to the old Japanese woman next to you and saying, I've met that man. <laughs> you know people in paradise. You remember the voice from all the previous occasions of going on the bus, of which there are many now, because you have been quite a long time in paradise. And the voice is familiar and comforting, and when you get off the bus, warmth rises through your body and it rises through your body and it rises through your body and you see and you feel that you had to go sometime and that this is paradise. Wow, that was wonderful. 
Thank you. That's Thank you. Anne Kennedy reading. And you're reading that, um, so you lived in Hawaii. Do you live there now? I know you were teaching there for a while. Is that correct? Yes, at the University of Hawaii. But um, we've all moved back to New Zealand now. And now I teach at Manuko Institute of Technology, which is in South Auckland. Is it a common thing for people from New Zealand to go back and forth between Hawaii? Is that no? There, are, there, are in fact, very few New Zealanders in Hawaii. There should be a lot more communication between the two places, and um, actually, I'm trying to work on that because we we have so many similarities um, being on the sort of edges mm-hmm. of the Pacific. Uh, but it's a long way. It's a lot of sea in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> eight sure. and a half hour plane journey. Uh, but so many similarities, and I mean, one of the um, most important ones is that we were both colonized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you were mentioning earlier that um, New Zealand is less of Europe, or is it? I, I, I'm a less connected to connected Europe, to Europe now. and more with the South Asia. Yeah. Area. Um, is yeah. In what way? You mean like politically, or just culturally, or or all of that, or and, um, and economically. Um, New Zealand is quite a lot like Canada, um, and culturally it feels very comfortable yes, for me very, coming yeah. here. And people had said that to me before. It's just like a big New Zealand, yeah. so colonised, um, you know, by the English. And um, so, if you came to New Zealand, you'd look around you and recognise buildings and um, just people's sensibility is similar. But um, uh, New Zealand was the food basket of the UK for a long time and like through two world wars that's what we were for mm. we were mm. the food basket and then in the 70s um, they sort of cut us off at the knees and we had to look for other markets in a hurry and they're Asia mm-hmm. and Australia and the Pacific so it was partly that it was partly an e- economic thing but now um, I think as ironically as the world becomes more global I think New Zealanders feel um, that their region is more important mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, the book that you're reading from is um, is a lot of it there. Is that why it's called? Um, is it the North? What was it called? The Darling North. Darling North. It's called the Darling North. Um, what is that referring to? It uh, it refers mostly to the fascination I think that New Zealanders have for the North mm-hmm. um, and the complex nature of our association with the North. That we were colonized. Um, um, that we're isolated geographically mm-hmm. and that it seemed that anything important that happened globally happened in the north, in the northern hemisphere, mm. which is quite a big place, um, <laughs> which is not to say that there still isn't a, you know enormous sense of identity, mm-hmm. um, but, but that geographical isolation is important. Um, but also what went into this book... Um, there's this strange thing that the north of New Zealand is semi-tropical, and so it's quite different from the rest in terms of climate and landscape. Mm-hmm. And a lot of New Zealanders um, never go there. And I went there for the first time when I was 25, and it felt like a new country. I couldn't oh. believe that I'd grown up in New Zealand, and I didn't know that there was this exotic part, which was the north. <laughs> and people talk about up north. Yeah. Um, but actually, we're still in, you know, way down sure, south. Sure. So there are all these complexities right. now and sort of negotiation with, with north and south. And um, and then, of course, us moving to uh, Hawaii, which is just over the equator and we're in the north. So all that comes into right. it. Right. And you obviously struck a chord because that book won an award, a New Zealand Book Award, correct? It did, yes. 
And yeah. is this the book that you are going to be mostly reading from at the at the Writers Fest, or are you going to be reading a novel? Um, actually, I've got two books with me. Um, I I write fiction as well, so I've come with a novel called The Last Days of the National Costume, um, and so I'm reading from that and talking about that a couple of times. But lucky enough to be. Um, on a poetry panel too. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, great. Yeah, it should be great. Do you know when your next event is at the Writers Fest? Um, tomorrow, Thursday at, I think it's six o'clock, uh, is, that's to do with the novel. That's um, odd, a session called Odd Jobs, which oh. I think is a really wonderful way to look at characters in fiction, what they do, oh. what they do for a living. So that's about the novel. And then the poetry one, Pure Poetry, is on Friday at 10 a.m., I think. Yeah, in oh, the okay. morning. Um, there are some other people that we know that are involved in that <coughs> in that panel. Um, do you want to read another poem? We would love for you to have um, Yes, chance. okay. Um, one thing about this, the Darling North um, is seven sort of longish sequences. I write narrative poems. I, I always mm. want to be telling a story in a poem, and I really admire people who can write... Um, you know, a poem that fits on one page and does everything you want it to do. <laughs> I can't do that. I, I always want to tell a story, and so I tend to gather poems together um, or write long poems. So so one of the sequences in this book is a group of sonnets, 14 sonnets. I like the number 14. Um, and they're called Lostling and Foundling. Mm. So I'll read one of those. Okay. okay. Flood, Halloween, 2004. What daughter put on her bed in case water came in the door? Violin, in case. 25 stuffed animals, in suitcase. Harry Potter books, in cardboard case. Harry Potter DVDs, in cases. <laughs> what I put on son's bed for son who was trapped at the school dance electric guitar in hard case, small amp in soft case, electronic games in case, <laughs> ceremonial Samoan fishing stick, no case. What husband put on bed in case water came in the door, motherboard, no case. What I put, this, 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 this. This, 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 in case. I think you can write just a one-page poem that. You said you you envy people who do that, but you can oh, definitely do that. Well, it's no, it's propped up by the other ones around it. Yeah, right. yeah. There, there was a flood in Honolulu that w- we were on its doorstep, and oh. it was quite something. Did it come in the door? No, it didn't come in the door. So all the yeah, cases were. But we okay. did put things on the bed. So these poems are quite personal. Um, one of the things I I want to do with poetry that's different from what I do in my fiction is to. Um, to express a, a persona so that I, you know, I, I tell something about my real life right. um, in my poems, but I don't want to do that in fiction. Mm. So these poems, even though they have, um, there are a couple of folk tales in here and other things going on, but 
in essence, they're about me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then why the number 14? Mm-hmm. Uh, you I said think the 14 because I was brought a... up Catholic and the Stations of the Cross thing still resonates with me. And so then you just use it in other ways. I have. I've used 14 quite a few times. I actually love that number. I don't know why. But... The way well, it I guess sounds or looks or the... breaks down to a five or... Uh, it's, it's more, yeah, it's the way it looks in my mind. I'm one of those people who sees numbers visually, mm-hmm. you know, how they look. They sort of stretch into the distance, and I just kind of like the way it stops. So what does it look like? I can't describe it to you. I, <laughs> I can't. It's just my own personal yeah. way of seeing numbers. That's really yeah. cool. I mean, I've never heard anybody say 14 is my favorite number. Oh. <laughs> really? I haven't ever heard that. Oh, 13, yes. Okay. But yeah. yeah. Huh. So what were you going to ask? Our I sister? was curious about... Um, the culture in New Zealand, because uh, in, in ways, I mean, Canada, you were saying there's similarities similarities to Canada. Um, oftentimes, Canadian artists are writing in response to how we're perceived. Like, we're not American. We're not, mm. you know, that. Like, and we're, mm. and we're, we're the, trying to find our identity is always in response to someone else. Mm. I'm just curious as to whether, what new, because when you're isolated, you can either just be entirely independent of the rest of the area around you or the rest of the world and come up with really cool stuff or you're writing in response. I'm not Australian. I'm not uh, British. I'm not whatever. So I'm curious as to what the cultural landscape, what are the artists, I guess, now doing, whether poets or uh, filmmakers or painters or musicians? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, Even though I think uh, we have a sort of rivalry with Australia, but it's mostly in sport. Mm. So I I don't think that New Zealanders are writing um, in uh, to sort of stamp out their identity uh, against Australia because it's too far away. Mm. But I, I think what happened was this, you know, the, uh, this thing with England and Europe that um, for a long time New Zealanders didn't feel like they had anything to say. Um, and in the um, sort of 30s, 40s, 50s, um, right through that period, there were artists who were um, claiming New Zealand as their you know, as their home and as their artistic home. So I'm talking about Pākehā poets here. Pākehā is white, like me. Okay. Um, so that, that's been really important for the next generation. So I, so I grew up with a sense of there's New Zealand art. You know, there's, there are New Zealand novels, New yeah. Zealand this, New Zealand that's that. That's so similar. Very fortunate to have that. Um, oh, that's the same Canada. It's similar yeah. in Canada. It was only in the 60s that we started to get poets who were Canadian poets who weren't British, who weren't writing British forms, who were starting to write of an experience in a land that was here and not mm. trying to copy European or British forms quite as often or as oh. much, right? So, yeah, right. that's similar. Yes, oh, I'm, I'm kind of amazed at that because it was further back. You you know, this this place has been going longer in a in a colonized sense yeah but maybe it's because we're closer to britain i don't know you could come over people could come over yeah it's pretty easy to get from you know from europe to here it's whatever not necessarily to vancouver but to the east coast it's a you know five and a half hour flight right yeah and for a long time up to that point i would say almost every english professor in the universities had a british accent Mm. and it only started to change around in the 60s oh that's so similar yes even when i was at school a lot of the teachers were from britain um uh, but uh, of course, it's such a long way to go, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, but but really, it's uh, in the last um, generation or two. There's been a really vibrant arts culture in New Zealand, sure. um, and and I so again I, I I speak as a Pākehā because there's also a really vibrant um, Indigenous mm. art scene, 
going on. And they're sometimes complementary, sometimes, you know, have association with each other, and in some ways are quite separate too. Um, and there's also a really big Pacifica population in Auckland. Auckland is the biggest Polynesian city in the world. And so that has like contributed a lot to the arts art scene in Auckland. Uh, so it's really it's quite vibrant, and I feel lucky to be part of it. Is there much overlap between the indigenous culture and the and the I guess the immigrant culture, the white culture, or what? There's some. Uh, I, I guess uh, growing up, Pākehā, uh, Pākehā people are defined in terms of being in you know in this host country. Mm. So. Uh, Yes, I'd, yes, I'd say that there is an overlap and and a conversation going on. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Well, it sounds like there yeah. definitely is in your life. Definitely in my life. <laughs> yeah, yes. but I'm lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's have you read another poem. And while you're finding one, I'll just say that you're listening to Co-op Radio CFRO 100.5. Um, this is Wax Poetic, and our guest today is Anne Kennedy. And we're also in the middle of our uh, membership drive, and we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, just as we end our program in a few minutes. Uh, We have a bunch of new donors, thanks to Pam going down to the Vancouver Poetry Slam on Monday. And we have a bunch of people who have renewed as supporters of uh, Co-op Radio and Wax Poetic in particular. So we're going to thank those people and encourage anybody else who wants to become a member of Co-op and a supporter of Wax Poetic. Uh, But in the meantime... We've got our guest, Ann Kennedy, who is going to be reading at the Vancouver Writers Festival, uh, which uh, she'll be reading tomorrow, as well as some other uh, events. So make sure you go and uh, check out the Vancouver Writers Festival website to find out uh, when Ann's reading and all the other events as well. But we have Ann Kennedy in studio right now. This is another sonnet. The sonnets are good for radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of bites. <laughs> a sound bite. Um, <laughs> This is number eight. My address is flight 10 to Honolulu. In the sky, I forgot everything, which was probably for the best. Mm. Like childbirth, no going back. A grey hand rushed into a grey glove. I found we had brought our own brightness. Then, living as gods, because frankly, who else gets up here? Minus an engineer who said even engineers don't know how we stay airborne. But otherwise, fine. Wine, song, a film, a talk with the window at sunset. In fact, a bit of an epic. All the sex, all the death, all the love, all the utu. Phew. I pictured a little life down there, in that darkness. I'd read the ephemera in the pocket in the seat in front of you. Scent. Linen, summer, the clamour of children clear as bells. A smiling husband, a house to put them in. I was as good as a god or little artist. At midnight, I swear, it all came roaring up to greet me. Hmm. I like that. I was as good as a god or a little artist. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. What are you uh, teaching? I teach... uh, Fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I teach with Eleanor Catton. <coughs> She's part of our program at Monaco Institute of Ignol- okay. Technology. It's a, it's a new school. It's only been going for four years, and it's um, an arts school. So there's creative writing, performing art, visual art, and jewellery all under one umbrella. Oh, wow. So it's a really exciting program. Um, and uh, but I also teach screenwriting because I worked in the film industry for a number of years uh, before I became a teacher. Sure. And you said that name, Eleanor. 
Ketan. Like we should know who that yeah, was. Yeah, we're sort of a, like um, a little she, Ellie won the Booker Prize last year. Oh, okay. And she's she was actually born in Canada, but she's she grew up in New Zealand, and she was here last year at the Vancouver Festival, okay. and um, I th- she won the Governor's Writing Award. Governor's General. Governor General's okay. Writing Award. And I can tell by the smile on your face when you mention her name that you quite like teaching with her. She's wonderful. Yeah, she's she's a darling. <laughs> I wanted to, I just really quickly looked you up. It's always fun to have somebody on that we don't know anything about, and then we don't know anything about the people that you mentioned, and we look silly, but that's okay. Um, and one of the other books of poetry that you wrote was about a family of giants? Yeah, The Time of the Giants. Um, and so that wasn't from your own experience? Uh, no, well, but... Who knows? Uh, in a, a way, it's hard. To, you know, everything in, that you write is from some kind of experience, right. even if it's just the experience of thinking. Um, <laughs> but The Family of Giants, yeah, it's a, a book about a young woman giant who dates a medium-sized man, <laughs> and she tries never to stand up. So all through this series of dates, she's either sitting or kneeling or lying or um, crouching. Yeah. Um, uh, the, uh, she thinks she's a giant anyway. Uh-huh. I'll just say that. Ah, okay. And what is the name of that book? The Time of the Giants. Okay. Actually, I'm going to read from that on uh, Friday. Oh, Friday wow. morning. Mm-hmm. Are you going to have uh, your books for sale at the festival? or? Uh, yes, I think they're in the bookshop. Okay, mm. cool. Asina Quiris from uh, Lemon, Lemon Hound is going to be reading that morning. And uh, a couple of other poets, too, that I can't remember. I don't want to say because I don't want to mislead you. But I know for sure that that, that uh, Asina is reading that one. Um, she... Um, Anne was one of the poets who had got here a little bit early, so we were lucky to get you on the show. So oh, I'm glad you. you flew in yesterday. Yeah, thank yeah. You. Oh, yeah. Are you are you all right? Like you're not jet, too jet lagged, or uh, I went to Wordfest first in Calgary. So oh, okay. this is my first time uh, okay. in Canada. Okay. But I, I went first to Calgary and then to Banff and then here. So I've been having the most wonderful time in oh, Canada. Okay. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. So I thought you were flying from New Zealand here today or yesterday. Oh no, so, yeah, yeah. no. Otherwise, I would. would I'd, wouldn't I'd be like the giant I'd be yeah. crouching or kneeling or yeah she looks pretty <laughs> fresh for just coming in from New Zealand yeah. Yeah, yeah so I just wanted to say thank you to our new members um Sonia Littlejohn um and Barbara Maloney Jenny Madison who donated some money Andrew Sutherland Jillian Christmas and Lucia Mish who have pledged to be members which means they've got to send theirs in another person who doesn't want to be mentioned on the air but uh, we appreciate it and also Mike Young is a new member and then from our web link which is the easiest way to donate you don't have to come and see me somewhere um, you just go to cooperadio.org you click on become a member or if you want to just donate you can click on donate to co-op radio and two people did that Kevin Spence and Chris Gill who helps out on the show uh, puts up our podcast for us he renewed his membership so uh, if you've been a member and your membership has lapsed you can always renew your membership as well and um, so some of those people are associated with the slam some are not there was also a walk-in yesterday uh, who gave money to wax poetic as well so we appreciate all these new members we have 10 new members because of this member drive and I want to challenge there are some page poets i'm putting that in quotation marks uh, who are also Char- carol shillabier um is a member right now who supports wax poetic heidi greco um ellie crowley gardner dennis bolin have all um 
taken out memberships in the past and uh, need to renew. So uh, we'll call them out a little bit. And if you want to join any of those fabulous people, I'm sure you recognize some of those names as former guests here. Or if you've ever been a guest or maybe you're going to be a future guest, please consider uh, supporting Wax Poetic for um, the co-op radio member drive. But even if you listen to other channel, uh, other shows and you just happen to be listening now, call in at 604-684-8494 or go to the website coopradio.org. Excellent. Thanks. A couple quick events coming up on October the 28th. Um, Word Whips at the JCC. We'll have uh, Bonnie Nish hosting that with along with Mary Duffy, Daniela Elza, Falcon O'Hara, Amanda Wardrop, and Warren Dean Fulton. Also, Shane Coizan's Stick Boy, the opera, opens tomorrow at the uh, Orpheum Theatre downtown. Congratulations to Shane on that great new production. And there's going to be an event this evening, sort of uh, in collaboration with the Vancouver Opera. The musicians from there are going to be doing some work with uh, visiting poets, uh, Rusty Prisk out of Ottawa, as well as local poets, uh, Olivia B., Jillian Christmas, and Chris Gilpin will be hosting that. That's this evening. And Floyd the- Van... Oh, Floyd VB will be performing yep. as well this evening at uh, Café de Soleil. Show starts at 7 o'clock. And Pandora's Collective is hosting a big fundraiser coming up on uh, November the 15th at uh, Vinci's Café and Art Gallery, 194 West 3rd Avenue in Vancouver. A fundraiser for the BC Children's Hospital Eating Disorder Clinic. And you can go to pandorascollective.com for more information on that show. They also have a Twisted Poets, Pandora's Collective's Twisted Poets tomorrow night. Um, Jan, Jane Eaton Hamilton and Susan Patton, both from out of town, are going to be at Twisted Poets, which is at uh, Cottage Bistro starting at 7 o'clock. And there's an open mic that goes along with that, like it always is. Great. Thanks, Anne Kennedy, for being our guest today. Thank you. It's been an honor. Sweet. It's so nice to have you here. Congratulations really great to have you. on uh, being a part of the Writers' Festival. And again, go check out uh, the Vancouver Writers' Festival website and Facebook page and all that stuff to find out when everybody is reading. And you're reading first tomorrow. Uh, is six that correct? O'clock. Yeah. Tomorrow at Tomo- 6. Tomorrow at 6. Yeah. And Friday morning with a bunch of other poets. Okay. Awesome. At 10. Yeah. At 10. Right Th- on. Thank and you both. That, Bye. You thank most you. of that's happening at Granville Island. So uh, that's it for this time. Don't forget, if you want to be a member of Co-op Radio and Wax Poetic Supporter, uh, give us a call. Go online. You can do it that way, too. Uh, I'm R.C. Weslowski. And I'm Pam Bentley. We'll be back next week. But now, No Apologies Necessary is coming up next. You've been listening to Wax Poetic on Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. So what? So what? So what?